A quick note before we get into this episode of Shakespeare. In today's episode, we'll be discussing our upcoming production of Measure for Measure, a show which does contain sexual assault. While we will not go into graphic detail, we do discuss it and the social repercussions. So listener discretion is advised for this episode. Thanks, and we hope that you enjoy. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Shakes Pod. I am your host for today, Tanya Mara, and with me, we have extra super special guest, Doll Picado. <laughs> Hi, Doll. Hi, Tanya. Doll, besides being our dramaturge and one of my favorite actors and just an amazing person, is also the director for Measure for Measure this summer. Yay! Yes, I am. Finally! I know, finally. 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 <laughs> for those of you who aren't aware, there was a pandemic. Um, and uh, uh, SBS's 2020 season is now happening in 2022. Um, we're going to start uh, the season at Willow Street with Romeo and Juliet, which I will be directing. And Doll will be in as Mercutio. Yes. And then we will be moving over to Sandborn, where Doll will be directing Measure for Measure. And our artistic director, Angie Higgins, will be directing Sense and Sensibility. So that's a preview of our season, and it's going to be awesome. But all three shows were supposed to happen two years ago. So now we're going to catch up with director Doll, and we're going to talk about Measure for Measure and uh, her concept and vision for the show. And what, if anything, has changed over the past two years with uh, what you were originally planning on doing and anything that you've kind of changed or adapted for our current world situation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I know. Uh, so let's let's start off with why measure for measure? Like what 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 about measure for measure gets you excited to direct that show in particular? For me, Measure for Measure is a very problematic play. It, uh, it deals with uh, sexual assault. It deals with uh, women being treated very badly. It deals with sex work. It has a lot, a lot of problems in it that people tend to shy away from. It also doesn't have, it has a very questionable ending. You can't really tell if it's a happy ending or it's a sad ending. Some people try to choose one or the other. It's a very, very interesting play, but it does have a lot of problems. As far as wanting to direct this play, I only really like to direct projects that I get really, really excited about, that I get very passionate about. And we were actually working on a piece that I had written as a fundraiser, a villain's piece, uh, Shakespeare's Most Wanted. And it has a scene of Angelo, who's sort of the villain of Measure for Measure, and Isabella, who's the nun in the convent who's pleading for her brother's life. And we we were directing that scene and we were working on that scene and we were sort of like, let's throw, throw costumes together and we put them in modern dress because that's what we had. And we had them running the scene and I sort of just started looking at it and realizing like how topical it still was and how those modern costumes reflected sort of what was going on at the time. This is like we had uh, the Me Too movement really starting to blow up. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is really relevant. So I start, I turned to Angie and I was like, oh my gosh, this actually makes me sort of want to direct the play because it's so relevant. And then the next thing I knew, she was like, guess what? It's a play you want to do. So we're going to do your measure for measure. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> great. 
Angie, being one of my best friends, really, I think, does watch for those moments when I when I do get passionate about possibly directing something, and she jumps on them, um, to her credit. So I am very excited about directing this. I'm also very nervous about directing it because it is such a problematic play. And I, it's funny because I was, I was part of that villains piece too. And I distinctly remember, cause I think I was like, I wasn't on stage and I wasn't in the audience, but I distinctly remember being to the side and like, just seeing you get excited about it. And I was like, oh, doll's got an idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I also do think it's funny because historically going by like the very rigid rules it's a comedy mm-hmm. it ends in a marriage which just blows my mind it doesn't matter for the for the traditional theater rules quote unquote it doesn't matter what the heck happens in the play as long as it ends in a marriage it's a comedy right and this one's even more problematic because he proposes like three times the duke proposes to isabella like three times and she does not answer so there's actually a lot you can do with that but of course the those you know divisions comedy tragedy his if it's a comedy it's marriages and if it's a tragedy you end up i think it's the seas it's like couples corpses and crowns is histories Um, one of those. But if you end up with couples at the end, it's a comedy. And you sort of, he asks, but she never answers. And so it's also when you think about that, that Victorian idea of women not being real people. And so if a proposal's made, that's enough. That's a marriage. Because of course, she would say yes, he's a duke, even though she's a nun. Well, and I, I almost love that like Romeo and Juliet is coming before, because if you look at Romeo and Juliet, there's a very loving, sweet, actual wedding in Romeo and Juliet, but it ends with death, spoiler alert. And so it's a tragedy. Whereas yours, it's like just chaos and awfulness, but it ends in a marriage. So it's a comedy. (laughs) Romeo and Juliet has some of the funniest scenes in the Shakespeare canon. The nurse is one of the most ingenious comic characters of all time, but she's also one of the most tragic because she, I mean, of all the people to discover Juliet dead when she takes the potion, it's the nurse who's goofy and and comes down and is like, oh, you're going to have sex tonight, Juliet. He, he, he. <laughs> I mean, she that's what she's saying. And then to find her dead, it's Shakespeare does this all the time. If you look at like uh, Much Ado About Nothing, that big declaration of love between Beatrice and Benedict, which everyone in the show, everyone in the audience is waiting for, is totally undercut when she tells him to kill Claudio for her love. Um, I remember the first time I saw it in a theater and the audience gasped when she said, kill Claudio. So when I was like, oh, if I ever get to play Beatrice, that's my goal. That's my goal to get people to do that. Because you were so swept up in the romance of it and how beautiful it was. And then, nope, you don't get that. So I remember um, I also wrote a piece on Shakespeare's lovers, which we recently filmed. And um, Dina Myers, who was currently the artistic director when I wrote that, was like, I want a Valentine's Day piece. I want a piece on Shakespeare's lovers. And I was like, what do you, what scenes do you want? And she was just like, well, like all the big romance scenes. And I was like, all the big romance scenes end horribly. They, they I was like, do you want, I mean, Romeo and Juliet has the beautiful balcony scene, but everybody knows what happens at the end. So Beatrice and Benedict doesn't end well. All these romantic, you think of Shakespeare as the king of romance, but 
he's actually all those romantic scenes don't end well. You'll have happy endings at the end at the end, but a lot of those don't end well. So we ended up with the Dear Will letters where um men Shakespeare characters write in for advice and they Shakespeare gives them bad advice. Right. Because he did. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so you have said that the show will be modern. Mm-hmm. What is your vision for this particular version of Measure for Measure? My vision for this version of Measure for Measure, like Shakespeare, Shakespeare a lot of times didn't give answers to the problems he was presenting in his plays. He would just bring attention to them. That's what I'd like to do with Measure for Measure. There's there's a lot of problems in this play. For those who don't know, let me give a brief synopsis of Measure for Measure. This basically, it takes place in Vienna and the Duke has decided to leave his kingdom behind and leave his first guy in charge, Angelo. And then he's going to kind of do an undercover boss thing and like, you know, sneak in and watch Angelo to see what he does. And the first thing Angelo does is decide that Vienna is too corrupt. It's too morally corrupt. So he's going to clean up Vienna and he decides he's going to tear down all the pro- the, the whorehouses, houses of prostitution, sex workers in the area. He's going to clean that all up. Any sort of mor- moral, ethical... Uh, thing that has to do with with sex specifically will be very harshly punished. So you end up with Claudio, who has gotten his fiance Juliet pregnant, but they are getting married. But he has gotten her pregnant, and that is now under Angelo is punishable by death. Claudio is going to be put to death for getting poor Juliet pregnant. So he is in jail, and somebody goes to Claudio's sister Isabella, who is about to become a nun in a convent, and plead for her to go beg to Angelo for Claudio's life. And so she leaves and she's going to beg for Claudio's life. So she goes and sees Angelo, begs for his life. And of course, Angelo falls in love with her, quote unquote, but basically has a meeting with her where he says, I'll let your brother go if you give me love, Isabella. It's very slimy. It's very... It's very politician-y. It's very politician-y. It's very quid pro quo. Yeah. And of course, she's going to be a nun uh so she says no and she goes to her brother and tells him what he did and her brother in a typical young man fashion is like of course of course your chastity is more important oh but dying so scary dying so... and then kind of pleads isabella just do it just do it she says no she's not going to do it and the duke eventually pairs teams up with her and they play a bed trick on angelo and so he's quote unquote gotten someone pregnant or slept with someone before he's married so now he's in trouble and everybody gets what's coming to them sort of at the end. It's it's very, it's very, very iffy. But the thing that I find most interesting about this and with the Me Too movement, in Shakespeare's day, a woman who was raped or sexually assaulted or sexually harassed, it was generally her fault. You see a lot of court cases at this time with women claiming they were taken by the fairies and a lot of times when women were taken by the fairies, they would, you know, disappear for a day or two and then come back all beat up and their clothes were ripped and clearly signs of sexual assault. But in order for them to be able to get married, they had to be pure. So if they were taken by the fairies, it was a supernatural solution to sexual assault. The fact that Shakespeare puts a nun in this as the victim speaks a lot to me because during Shakespeare's time, women were property. And a lot of times you just, if men wanted that bar winch, they just took them. 
There are many accounts of in Shakespeare's audience at the time, people having sex during intermission. You just grab the winch nearest to you. But having a nun means she's already married to Christ. So the one guy that it's really a sin to, to cheat, you know, to make men, even though modern audiences see that and they're like, oh my gosh, he's so horrible. He's assaulting a nun. The reality of the situation was if it was any other woman, it wouldn't be a big deal. Right. And there's still kind of parallels to that today. Right. The most chilling thing he says is when finally she pushes him off and says, I, I will, t I will declare thee. I'm going to tell everybody. His first line is who will believe thee, Isabel. And that should cut everybody to the heart because we're still dealing with that. Who, who's going to believe you? Exactly. And I think that, I think that when we, cause you know, we have said at the top of this podcast that we were going to do this, this whole season two years ago, two years ago, you know, Trump was president. And Me Too was going really strongly. And things have sort of simmered a little bit with political transitions and people getting called out, rightfully so, more and more. But it's still there. I think the idea that a nun is a victim in this scenario, you know, even in Shakespeare's time where it's like, oh, well, that's the one person that you really can't touch. I think even like if you look at a lot of true crime cases, there are victims that are like less than because they're sex workers or because they're yes. whatever. And so police or society or whatever, they're like, well, they shouldn't have been in that career. Then right. That's their issue. Right. It's that whole, what were you wearing? Where were you and what were mm -hmm. you wearing? Or you're married to him. Therefore he cannot rape you, mm -hmm. um, which is Ludicrous. It just de it, yeah, it just devalues women. It still, it, it frustrates me still to this day because you hear politicians talking about how like, I am for women's rights. I am for women's rights. I am against all this Me Too stuff because I have a mother and I have a sister and it's all how it relates to them rather than the women. It's how the, those women are related to them. I'm personally affected by this because I have a mother. Everybody has a mother. It doesn't matter who you're related to. It doesn't matter if you have a sister. All women count. All women should be taken into account. It was, this was a few years ago, but I was in a meeting with a colleague and he said something where he was like, well, now that I have a daughter, blah, 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 blah. And I stopped him and I was like, that's not the flex you think it is because you are in your mid thirties. So what the last 30 some years of your life didn't really count towards women. But now that you have a daughter, whoa, now things are different. Like, yeah, your eyes should not be open merely because you have a daughter. Your eyes should not be open because you get married and you see how people treat your wife when you're out on a date. They ask, you know, that if there's a waiter's coming up and asks you, you know, what the lady would like, hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it happens, it still happens all the time. And it's, it's, it's so frustrating as a woman <laughs> to just be like, why can't I just count? Right. Why can't I just matter? Absolutely. One of one of my favorite little things to do is like, or to notice is like when I go out um, to dinner with a male friend, whether it's a boyfriend or just a friend friend or whatever, even if I pay, when they put the credit card down, it's very interesting because I will say 
easily like seven out of 10 times, they'll hand the bill to sign back to the male side of the table. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's my card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, there's like people uh, doing social experiments right now. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of women. I see it on TikTok and, and things where they're, they'll walk down the street and will not get out of the way if a man is walking towards mm-hmm. them. And they've been like, it's amazing. Since I've stopped moving out of the way, 28 men have run into me. Yep. And it, it's, it's little, but they just, people will expect that you will get out of their way because you are a woman and that's yeah. what you're supposed to do. Yeah. It's very frustrating. It's actually, it's cool when you think about it because we've got three female directors this summer, you, me and Angie, which is just like, yes, the power of three, <laughs> let's go. But it's also, I, it makes me wonder what audience members seeing mm-hmm. like an LGBTQ Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. or, you know, a measure for measure like this, what, they're going to think what especially male audience members what they're going to think we have this this happen a lot like when we had our all-female hamlet people i mean were like okay i'll give it a chance and i have had a lot of older men come up to me when i was playing claudius and were like i actually didn't think about some of the things that you did and they're surprised right can that you can do that that you can portray a male character and give him depth and give him you know, substance. And it's always just sort of like, yeah, yeah, I'm an actor. That's my job. Literally what I do. That's what I do. And I mean, it's, and I mean, I love playing male characters in Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. You always get this. There's always a few guys out there that are like surprised that you were, you were able to do that. And, you know, hashtag not all men, of course, <laughs> but it, but it is funny to watch as dramaturg every summer every summer there's always one male audience member that likes to come up and argue with me about something i've been studying shakespeare my whole life and i really do think because it's because i'm a woman and this guy has seen a shakespeare play once and you know decides he's going to come talk to me. And as you know, they're an audience member. I can't just be like, no, actually. (laughs) So you you have to kind of balance that politeness with, I don't want to back down. Right. Because as a woman, I've got this knowledge. I mean, I've got the knowledge. If this person is incorrect, I should be able to tell them that's incorrect. Actually, this is what happened. But uh, you know, it's like, yeah. Do I, do I bruise this audience member's <laughs> ego? Am I, am, I right. mean, it's a, it's a horrible balance a lot of times. But. <laughs> we should get you like a shirt and on like one side, it's like on duty on the other side, it's off duty. And so like, when you really want to like give it to an <laughs> audience member, who's like pushing back and is wrong and just switch the shirt to off duty. And you're like, look, I'm not working for the theater right now, but here's why you're wrong. <laughs> you need to meet me at Jake's in about <laughs> half an hour. And then we can really talk about this. <laughs> Jake's parking lot. It's going down Shakespeare dramaturge off. It's great. We're going to have a discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I do look forward to the time where when people just accept and like your direction and your creative pieces just by the virtue of the piece itself. Right. There's a reason a lot of female authors just use their initials, you yeah. know, as their, as their first name because... If people think you might be a man, they might accept it a little bit more. Right. And it'll be interesting because every show 
even the most perfectly performed or whatever show will have at least one or two negative comments or reviews. And it'll just be really interesting. I feel like for measure for measure in particular to be like, how much of it is because it made you uncomfortable and made you think and made you do something and how much of it is actually like valid criticism on the production itself. Right. Right. Measure for measure it is an uncomfortable play. Yeah. I mean, even if you're not doing it through any particular lens, if you just read the play itself, it's a very problematic play. Um, I've been on many, many message boards and discussions where, you know, it's like, what's your least favorite Shakespeare play? And measure for measure comes up so much. People yeah. get so upset by it. I because I know I know another one that people like really just generally get upset with is Merchant of Venice. Which yes. one, which one to you is more upsetting or problematic or or is there a third one that you think is even worse than the other two? But I know that like whenever I talk to people, it's it's either measure for measure of Merchant of Venice that people are like, that's can't do it. Which one's more problematic? They're both so problematic. Um, both so problematic. Here's 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 my 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 short answer. I feel nervous, but pretty strong going into directing Measure for Measure. I have no desire to direct Merchant of Venice. That's a basket of snakes. I'm not willing to step into. It's. Do I think it still has value as a historical piece? Yes. Do I think it ever needs to be performed again? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. No matter how many times we say Shakespeare is a product of his times and you need to look through this through the lens of history, I feel like Merchant of Venice is more specifically damaging. Right. That's a problem for me. And I think like particularly like with Measure for Measure and with putting the lens on it that you are for this production, much like Romeo and Juliet, because I'm doing an LGBTQ lens of it, it changes the meaning and it changes the point, not like the basic plot point story, like that's still the same, but it changes the message. And I think that, you know, and this is one thing that I, as a director, every director proposal I've written has ended with, I just want to take dead white guy shows and make them relevant again. Yes. And so I think that this particular lens for measure for measure, I think it does that. I think that it's like, look, we are still fighting and we are still dealing with this today. This may seem like a crazy extreme example of a politician hitting on a nun, but like, sorry, it's still, this is still something that we're, we're dealing with. And if we need to like make you uncomfortable and make you watch it, to get the point across, then okay. <laughs> it's also an interesting piece when you think about it because Shakespeare, he's a dead white guy. He's a dead yeah. white patriarch. As much as I love him, he is a dead white guy. And he believed that women were lower than men. I mean, right. Queen Elizabeth at the, her time believed that, believed that, that it was a God-given thing for women to be lower than men. And she was queen. She just believed that like she was a super woman. She was above because God had chosen her to be queen so she was something else she was on a different level but she still believed that normal women should be subjected to men that's how it is and you can see that throughout Shakespeare's plays whereas Merchant of Venice is one play that specifically Mm -hmm. hits on that and that is like he he went out of his way to write that one Um, whereas you see Taming of the Shrew you see Merchant uh, Measure for Measure you see a lot of Romeo and Juliet Juliet's 
I mean, she gets treated horribly. Girl. Like you see her as a as a pawn. She's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's horrible. You see women like that across the board. Measure for measure, I just I see so much more that can be re- related modern ways. I see the same thing that you're doing with with LGBTQ Romeo and Juliet. People need to realize that that it's the universal themes that keep mm-hmm. Shakespeare relevant. It's not the language, it's not the characters, it's those themes of you not being allowed to marry the person you love. That's what's happening in Romeo and Juliet. And Shakespeare wrote it to where it's feuding families. But why are those families feuding? You don't know. They, it's just an ancient grudge is what they say. They never tell you. So it can be anything. That's, I mean, there's a meme out right now that's like, I think we've both talked about it. It's like the thing you love about Shakespeare is, you know, you want to make Laertes Hamlet's ex-boyfriend. It doesn't say it isn't. And because Shakespeare's so vague like that, you can adapt it to new situations. So in LGBTQ, Romeo and Juliet, what's a reason that two people, families wouldn't want these two people together? They're both women. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. And that's a problem that like a lot of people are currently dealing with. Right. And I think that that was, that was something that like we were talking about the two years or whatever, when, when I, when I pitched LGBTQ Romeo and Juliet, I was like, oh, this is a, a problem problem. And then like over the last two years, I was like, okay, things have kind of simmered. And then it was like this month, like Texas and Florida and like Idaho or whatever, just their politicians went crazy. And I was like, I guess we're relevant again. Okay. never mind. Just put on, put it on. Let's do it. Right. The same with, with the abortion laws that are going through. It's like, what happened with, I'm so sorry about these bees outside my house. (laughs) I cannot control them. (laughs) They're having a good time. But yeah, you think like, you know, it's kind of, everything's been sleeping for two years. It sort of feels like, and you're like, oh, after two years, two years is a long time. And you've been planning to do a play. You're all ready to do a play. And then you got to wait two years. You're like, oh, is this still relevant? Thanks America. Yes, it is. Thank you, Texas. Thank you, Florida. I mean, tongue in cheek, of course. Right. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) It's still relevant. Yeah. Talking about the two year pause, because, you know, we we had cast our seasons and we had started stuff. So like what in this two years, like coming back, what have you had to change? What if if anything, like what's different for this show than it would if it had gone on two years ago? Uh, Well, the cast is definitely different after. I mean, I'm I'm so pleased that we had so many people that were like, yes, I'm still on board. I want to do this after two years because after two years, people are moving on with their lives. A lot of people moved out of state, just assumed like, I'm okay, it's not happening. But when we wrote and said, you know, it's going on, still had a lot of people who were just like, yes, this is a role I want to play. This is a play I want to do, which has been fantastic. Getting new people has always been, it's always fun. But yeah, I had to cast, uh, recast, a couple of major roles. So that's going to look different, but um, I'm excited about the new cast that I have. Um, I'm excited just to to dig back into the script because, you know, when you two years ago, we all had like ideas of what we're going to do and this is what it's going to look like. And now two years later, you're like, oh, I don't remember <laughs> any of that stuff. And I've got new people now and I've got to like adjust lines. And yeah, it's um. It's a new challenge to pick it up after two years. I think all three productions are kind of going through that same thing where we're like, okay, well, 
this is a little different. It's still going to be great. It's still going to be good, but it's just, it's, it's a little different because, you know, we're two years older, two years wiser, two years more tired. (laughs) Well, and we all thought like, I mean, I was telling you this beforehand. It was like, oh, we're, we're postponing for a year. Oh, great. This will give me a year to really concentrate on this. And then we just started doing zoom productions and like all theaters were trying to keep their heads above water. So we're like pedaling, pedaling, pedaling. And then it's like, okay, all right. Oh, we're going to start. Okay. Oh, another year. Oh, okay. Now I can really dig into this. And nope, after, you know, two years of pedaling, pedaling, pedaling. And now it's like, oh my gosh, we're starting rehearsals in like a month. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going through this juxtaposition of, oh my gosh, I haven't really stopped since the pandemic. I need a a week where I, a a day where I get to do nothing. And so you're trying to grab onto those nothing days so you can just relax and get your thoughts in order. And then they don't really come. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Something doesn't always pops happen. up. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah, dive in. Yeah, well, and I mean, at, at least I will say, at least you you just got done directing another show, so yes. at least you're at least you've kind of dusted those directorial cobwebs off a little bit. You know? Yeah, I never thought I would be directing two plays in the same season. Yeah, I just finished The Hollow at uh, City Lights, uh, which was a great experience, but also crazy experience. We had COVID protocols and, you know, the Omicron surge happened in the middle of that. And we were trying to do it over, you know, rehearsals over Christmas. And it was just, it was crazy, but City Lights does an excellent job. They like bought everybody COVID tests and you had to test every three days and you had to go to PCR every week. And it was the safest atmosphere. I felt totally safe working at people worked in masks the whole time. So I feel prepared right going into this summer I feel I feel good about it and that's definitely something that like I think that we'll all have to get used to I think that we'll we'll be in a little different position because all of our shows are outdoors you know what I mean so there's a little bit more of a safety factor of being outdoors but you know we still have to follow those like new COVID protocols of people wearing masks if they're like you know for everybody's comfort, everybody's safety, whatever, whatever, testing, you know, we definitely have this season, a very rigorous understudy situation going on because we're just like, yep, we understand that like, we got to have those backups and we got to have those protocols in place. And so it adds like a whole nother layer of complications and things to remember. Oh yeah. Well, and, and in these Shakespeare plays too, there's like, blocking that requires you've got kisses blocked mm-hmm. into your show Shakespeare gives very few stage directions but in Romeo and Juliet it says they kiss because more than once mm-hmm. and in mine we've got a sexual assault happening and it's difficult to do a sexual assault from six feet away um you know social distancing sexual okay. assault does not work on stage but you know you also have to think of like safety and intimacy direction and and all those things that make something like this happen but yeah we've got when i did the hollow it was like 1947 british mystery you had no problem with keeping people distance we took out all kisses and you know any romance was from far away and very proper and very british whereas um shakespeare wasn't like that yeah so, you know, maybe Angie's a little luckier because she has sense of sensibility. So she can do exactly. the socially awkward, like British romance from across the room where it's she all just communicating fans and, and eye looks and stuff. Exactly. We can't, we cannot do that. It is specifically blocked. Yeah. Like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. No, they gotta be like right next to each other all yeah. the time forever. <laughs> yes. 
Can you imagine how odd, odd that would be trying to do like the, the dance scene with everybody? Six yeah, that's a that's a 48 hour festival skit right there, which, <laughs> uh, you know, shameless plug. The 48 hour festival is coming up. It is yes. uh, the weekend of April 1st, first weekend in April. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, and the theme this year is Shakes Binge. So like binge-worthy TV elements is what we're doing. So it's always a fun time. So check it out. It'll be at Foothill College, like always. So just like one last little question. What is like the one thing that you want the audience to get out of your production? Like if, if, if they're leaving the theater and they're talking about it on the ride home or they're posting about it on Facebook or whatever it is, what is that one sentiment that you want them to like get that one kernel of knowledge that you want or light bulb moment or whatever it is? I would love for people to leave the audience and turn to each other and go, was this Shakespeare? I would love for them to question that because I think those, I think this will fit so well into a modern lens that I want people to wonder if we changed lines. Like, is that all Shakespeare? What did, what did you do differently? Mm-hmm. Mm, nothing, nothing. That's all there. That's always my most exciting moment is it, because we've had that before. I, I believe Melinda had that problem with uh, McBee. Mm-hmm. People were like, you know, did you change lines? This is much bodier than I thought it was. It's like, no, half, half of Shakespeare's stuff is fart jokes, guys. I mean, he <laughs> has, he's the greatest playwright of all time, but I'll, there's a lot of fart jokes. And that's what his audience like. We still like fart jokes, guys. He <laughs> wrote this hundreds of years ago, but he knew. Oh he my playing. gosh. Date movie. There's like so many fart jokes. I mean, yeah, they're still, they're still popular, guys. Um, but yeah, I would love people to question whether this is Shakespeare if we changed anything to make it more modern. And the answer, no, this has always been an issue. Unfortunately, please, please make it stop being an issue. Only you have the power to prevent measure from measure in real life. Right, right. And yeah, I, I would love people to be like, oh, it's so horrible because she's a nun. That's not the reason it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, in, in a modern production, we could pretty much replace Is- Isabel with almost any woman. Right. Working, you know, working on the election, you know, whatever. It's not worse because she's a nun. <laughs> it's just bad because she's a woman. In Shakespeare's time, it would have been, she would have been the only woman that would have been mattered. That makes, yeah, that, exactly. That makes, that makes Angelo look, look makes him look bad. Otherwise, right. it's like, oh, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just a Thursday for mm-hmm. ladies, which, oh, awful. Great. Well, on that like really happy note, <laughs> <laughs> please, please, please come check out our season. Um, you can see Measure for Measure uh, this summer up at Sanborn. Um, I believe if t- I believe tickets might be on sale now. If not, they'll be on sale on our website, sdshakespeare.org. Um, again, we've got the 48 hour festival coming up and then the rest of the season, um, we have Romeo and Juliet and Willow Street in June and Sense and Sensibility is also going to be up in Sanborn when you can get tickets for that. Just, just one more thing. I, I do want people to know that even though we are, we are doing plays that are problematic and there's a lot of heavy issues, they're funny too. Like oh, yeah. these, these are fun shows to see. Um, and a lot of times you don't get a chance to see a play like Measure for Measure. So definitely come and see it, if only to cross it off your Shakespeare plays I need to see list. 
Right. Um, You've got your Shakespeare bingo. Exactly. No one does measure for measure anymore. So even if you're just ticking off that bingo card, come see it. Yep. That lower right hand B corner is going to be you're going to be taken care of. But it's it's a valuable play. It is a valuable play. Um, And I do encourage you to come and see it. It's it's very enjoyable. It's very funny. It's very funny. Just because it's problematic doesn't mean it's still not funny. (laughs) True. And um, I will say the same thing about Romeo and Juliet. Everyone knows that show is a downer, but I will say my fight choreographer the other day, because I told him that that first, everybody knows that first iconic scene of do you bite your thumb at me sir I have said I wanted as ridiculous and frat boy as possible and our fight choreographer emailed me the other day and said how do you feel about pool noodles and I just said yes I don't know if that's what's happening but like just so you know while while measure for measure and Romeo and Juliet may seem like downer sad shows and they may have those moments they're still going to be highly entertaining at points right. like I, t- I said some of the funniest scenes in all of Shakespeare are in Romeo and Juliet the greatest tragedy of all time so (laughs) definitely come and see it and don't forget about sense and sensibility sense and sensibility you like your tea you like your jane austen you like your awkward british people who are just staring at each other from across the room and maybe showing an ankle if they're feeling really flirty yeah it's also gonna be super great yeah come 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 check out the season y'all it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one but thank you for joining me today doll and taking this time to talk about measure for measure um thank you i really enjoy our conversations and also like it's nice to talk about a show that a lot of people a don't know and b have only heard like the negative things about and so it's nice yeah. to kind of talk about it and be like it's not all bad and it's relevant and necessary yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us on this episode of Shakes Pod. We'll have another one out for you next month and we will see you later. Bye. And of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Shakes Pod without one of our famous bard babbles from Doll. Doll, take it away. As Hamlet says in Act 2, Scene 2, words, words, words. This episode's bard babble is swagger. Jay-Z may have claimed ownership of this one, but this word goes back to an even more well-known writer, our boy Bill. The word swagger is a more commonly used form of the word swag, which has no English root, but is believed to come from the Old Norse word svega, meaning to lurch or to move forward unsteadily. That definition of swag was made popular in the mid-1100s to the mid-1300s and then evolved into a verb meaning to strut in a defiant or insolent manner. And the definition pretty much remains the same today. Shakespeare was the one who started using swagger in place of swag, possibly because of metrical reasons. You can first find this word in a couple of Shakespeare's 1590s plays, either Midsummer Night's Dream, what hempen homespuns have we swaggering here, so near the cradle of the fairy queen, or Henry IV, part two, If he swagger, let him not come here. No, by my faith, I must live among my neighbors. All no swaggerers. I am in good name and fame with the best. Shut the door. There comes no swaggerers here. I have not lived all this while to have swaggering now. Shut the door, I pray you. But whichever play it appeared in first, I think we can all agree. Swagger. Our man Shakespeare had it. Shakespeare invented over 400 words. This has been one of them.